incredible student body for for your patience and um, for just jumping in and being excited about this school year and all that God's doing, even though there are some, uh, and there always is, with growth set at the beginning with an orientation. You know, one of these days, not too distant future for many of you, you're going to be part of growing churches, pastoral leadership teams, and you're going to face challenges because growth brings challenges. We pray for revival, and we don't realize the work that we're praying to be a part of uh, when we pray for revival because it's work and it's it's challenges, it's obstacles. Um, revival is not clear paths and everything just goes wonderful. There are challenges. So thank you for um, embracing these challenges, keeping a good attitude about it, and uh, God's going to reward your patience. There's going to be, uh, we're going to really enjoy this campus and the things that are being completed. Matthew 14, verse 22, and straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray, and when the evening uh, was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, his disciples, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it's I, don't be afraid. And Peter answered and said, Lord, if it's really you, bid me come unto thee on the water. And Jesus said, Come. And when Peter was come, down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou a little faith, wherefore did you doubt? When they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, Thou art the Son of God. I want to talk to you today about the second time Peter walked on water. The second time he walked on water. Why don't you bow your head right now. Let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us today. Talk to our hearts. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you for your spirit that is moving in this place. Thank you for the hearts and lives you've touched. Your ministering spirit that has gone among this student body here today. And your spirit that's settled on their lives. Your hand that's rested upon them. You brought encouragement to some today who have been scared and worried and fearful. You bring, you've brought peace to their spirit, their soul, and I'm thankful for that today. I pray you continue to move among us and speak to our hearts today, Lord. We give you praise and we thank you for your goodness to us, your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. I do want from the outset to say that uh, I read a book several years ago. Uh, I don't think it was the last book I read. But several years ago, I read a book called The Seven Checkpoints, Andy Stanley and uh, Stuart Hall. And some of the content, if you've read that book, you might be familiar with some of the content I've taken um, from this, for this lesson, this sermon today. I just want to share with you um, from there today. But uh, we see in this passage, Matthew chapter number uh, 14, we see familiar instance in Scripture you're, you're familiar with. You've, you've read it. You've heard it preached. You've thought about it. Maybe even you've taught it before. 
Um, Jesus tells the disciples to go to the other side. He had just got on teaching a huge multitude, a huge crowd. He's getting tired. The disciples are getting tired. He sends them to get into a boat and go, go across the other side. He says, I'll send the multitudes away. I'll take care of everything. You all just go ahead. So he, uh, the disciples get into a boat. They start heading across the sea. And Jesus dismisses the last few as the last line that stood there to shake his hand and asking questions and get selfies with him. That, that's kind of died down. And, and so he sends the rest of the crowd away. And Jesus escapes for a few minutes. He's got a few minutes by himself, and he goes apart to pray. Now, while this is happening, of course, the disciples, taking them a little bit of time to get to the boat, begin to head across the sea. But once they get to about the middle of the sea, the Bible tells us that the winds started picking up, that the clouds rolled in really quickly, and the boat began to be tossed very violently. This was a very late day. This had gone very late, that Jesus had dismissed his followers dismissed them to go to the other side and dismissed the crowd. This was a long day of teaching because the Bible tells us it was somewhere between 3 o'clock in the morning and 6 o'clock in the morning that the disciples are being tossed on the boat in the midst of the sea. And it's at that time that Jesus comes walking on the water towards them. Of course, they think there's a ghost. They think it's a spirit. They are afraid. They begin to panic among themselves. But Jesus calms their fears, knowing they're afraid, and said, don't be afraid, it's me. Be not afraid. And Peter speaks up, says, if it's really you, tell me to come to you. And P Jesus says one word, come. And it's on that one word that Peter has enough courage and enough boldness to lift his right leg over the side of the boat and test the water, dip his toe in, and then the left side, his left leg over the water, he's sitting on the edge of the boat trying to decide, do I really do this or not? Only one word, come. And Peter launched himself out of the boat and amazingly, and to his own amazement, he walked, began walking on the water. I don't know how many steps he took. I don't know if there was that first if Jesus was a good 30 yards away and Peter took seven or eight or nine or ten steps, I don't know. I'm sure there was that amazement for the first part where Peter begins to walk and take a few steps and he just, it's like he's in a dream. You know, you've had those moments where something amazing happened and it's like you're on the outside looking in. Maybe for those first few steps, Peter's like up, kind of hovering over himself. He can't believe this is really happening. This is impossible. But after a few steps, Peter began to look at his surroundings. And Peter, that, that dreamlike state wore off and he entered back into his body and he begins to see, this is impossible. I'm not supposed to be doing And saw the wind boisterous, the Bible said, he became very afraid and began to sink. He didn't waste any time. When he started going under, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand, picked him up. And gently, gently rebuked his lack of faith. Peter began to sink when he began to think he was in control. He began to sink when he began to think that I'm doing this. It's me. We got to be very careful when we stand to minister before somebody or teach a Bible or begin to Bible study or witness before somebody and we let those thoughts enter our mind that this is all me. I'm on my own. I'm doing this by myself. 
Because the moment you start thinking that, you start thinking like Peter, this is impossible. I can't do this. I, I, I can't be the one I can't be the one preaching. I can't be the one singing. I can't be the one teaching a Bible study. I can't be the one talking to the guy behind the counter at QT and telling him that God's changed my life and he can change his and fill him with the Holy Ghost if he'll just believe. I, I can't do that. I can't do that on my own. Peter began to sink when he started thinking he was in control. As Christians, we're instructed to live by faith. By faith. What does that really mean, though? What is, what is faith exactly? Sometimes, often faith is, is, is looked at and spoken of as some kind of force or some kind of power. Something we can turn on and a switch we can turn on. If we could just find the right switch, we could turn it on and, and everything would be okay. But that's really a faulty definition of faith. There's a lot of confusion in this area. The main reason many people abandon Christianity it's the reason they have such difficulty trusting God with every area of their life. It's also the reason so many walk around unsure of their salvation. You probably know a lot of people who, who have lost their faith. There's a couple factors. One reason, I, I, one factor I see people losing their faith over, especially young people, is poor choices. When they make a poor choice, they make a mistake, and this guilt comes over them, and so they have to ask for forgiveness and 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 and, and change their be and they they're faced with this with this you know with this dilemma. I either change my behavior or I change my belief system. And often changing how we believe is easier than changing how we behave. So we 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 make deals and, and we 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 wrestle with things in our mind and we, we just decide I, I'm just gonna I don't really believe that then and it just just what it does it just it just helps us feel better about ourselves. There's a lot of used to believe people who decided at some point to train in their faith for a more convenient lifestyle. And their obviously their faith had shallow roots then. It's it was based more on convenience rather than on conviction. And we've got to make sure that that we don't lose our faith over poor poor choices. Some people feel like what's happening now, what I'm feeling now determines what I believe for now. That's a shallow faith. That's a that's being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. We can't let what's happening now and what we're feeling now determine how truth changes. We've got to have faith no matter what. So poor choices help cause people to lose their faith. Unexplainable tragedies cause people to lose their faith. We've all experienced painful circumstances that don't fit with our understanding of the character of God or the Christian faith. I made a statement recently. I'm just, certain thing going on. I'm, I'm just struggling with my faith. I, I feel more often than not, I feel like that, that man in the Bible said, Jesus, I believe and help my unbelief. Because there's a lot of times painful circumstances enter into our life, things that we, we just doesn't fit. It messes up how we see God and the character of God. How could a good God allow that to happen? Why didn't he stop that? But as long as our faith is grounded in what we see and what we experience, our faith will always be fragile. If your faith is always affected by what you see and it's always affected by what you experience and by what you feel, then your faith is fragile, and it's just a matter of time before that faith is broken or lost. It will never be more than circumstantial faith, totally dependent on your ability to interpret the events around you. If I can figure it out, then I'll have faith. If I can make sense of it all, then I will have faith. You ask a little 
boy, little girl carried by their parent off to the doctor if daddy and mommy really love them. And, they, you know, they, they think mommy and daddy loves them. Then all of a sudden they're sitting on that cold table with the paper that they keep rolling, you know, and you scoot on it, it just tears. Uh, I don't know. I know it's to protect germ, I guess, all that. But anyway, a good sidetrack there. But anyway, the little boy, little girl sits down there, and then this nurse comes in with this big old long needle. And at that moment, you're going to ask that little boy, little girl, do you think mommy and daddy love you? All they see is that needle. All they know, there's pain coming. And at that moment, that little boy and little girl might begin to question whether mommy and daddy really love them. But give another 12, 13, 14 years down the road, and that little boy, little girl will thank their mommy and daddy. I got vaccinated. Thank you. I don't have to hit this disease because I got vaccinated. They realize it was all because of love. It wasn't trying to hurt them, wasn't trying to bring them pain. But just as a child can't correctly judge their parents' character based on one scary trip to the doctor, we cannot draw conclusions about God's goodness based on immediate circumstances of life. God's faithfulness and loving character are never predicated upon unfolding circumstances. He does not change. Though things change in your life, you cannot let your faith change because circumstances change. Circumstantial faith is fragile faith because its frame of reference is too small. It takes its cue from the tiny frame of reference. If God doesn't answer our prayers by next week, we wonder if he, does, if he exists or not. If God doesn't, we don't see God work in our present situation, we lose our confidence for his love and his care for us. We've got to see and we've got to step back and let our faith grab a hold of the big picture. The big picture. The object of our faith is a person, not circumstance. We find our faith founded in a person, Jesus Christ. If our faith rests on anything else, anything other than Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done for us, we are building our lives on a fragile foundation. Some of you have stepped out on your own for the last year or two, some of you for the first time, and you, your faith is being shaken because things aren't safe like they used to be. You're no longer in that safe cocoon that you once were. You no longer can run to your mom and dad whenever you need to and let them calm your fears. You can no longer, your pastor is not there anymore, your youth pastor. And so you find yourself shaking. You find yourself quaking at the very slightest of circumstances. But I've come today to encourage you that your faith can stand in so much greater and so much deeper than circumstances. If your faith will be founded in the unwavering love and care of Jesus Christ, circumstances will cause us to doubt God. But God never intended for our faith faith to rest upon what's going on around us. People tend to be unwilling to accept faith for what it really is rather than what they want it to be. They want faith to be a power that moves God in a direction they've prescribed. They want it to be the code that unlocks the door to God's unlimited resources, resources they can use at their discretion. Basically, they want faith to be a way for them to get what they want from God. But we need to understand that faith is not some sort of force or power. It's not, may the force be with you. And then it's not that much, I love Star Wars, that's not faith. Okay? We like to draw a lot of conclusions. Oh, look at that. Doesn't that line up with the Bible? Don't, don't do that because you're going to get confused. The force that's with Luke is not the same faith that we found our, our faith and our relationship with Jesus Christ on. That's dangerously close to New Age philosophy. Don't go there. 
It's not some force that you close your eyes and you can just stop whatever comes at you with your lightsaber. It's not, that's not faith. That's science fiction. It's not that. Neither is biblical faith just confidence either. Just because I'm lacking confidence. I know this is, this is hard, but just because I lack confidence sometimes does not mean I lack faith necessarily. Because I admit to God, hey, I'm having trouble right now. I'm struggling, I'm struggling to really have a lot of confidence, but I, I, I'm struggling. Would you help my faith? Would you help my unbelief? I do believe in you, but there are times we allow circumstances to, 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 to wrestle with us and we, we, we have a difficulty keeping our faith in him. We think if we'll muster up enough confidence, God will act. Well, if I'll approach that devil with enough confidence, God's going to act. I don't know how many times I've approached a situation with a lot of confidence thinking God was going to do it, and he didn't do it like I wanted him to do it. Does that mean God changed? Does that mean God has no power? Does that mean God's character has changed? No. God, my faith needs to be founded in his character. I may not understand everything he does. I may not get every decision he makes and everything that he allows. But I can walk through those things with my hand held high and my head held high and my hand held out reaching for him because I know he's a good God and he cares for me and he wants what's best for me and that all things will work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called to According to his purpose, I can trust in him. It's not confidence. It's not wishful thinking. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is confidence that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he's promised he will do. Our confidence must be in the absolute promises and unchanging character of God. The problem is sometimes we get mixed up with what God has promised and what we want. You can think back. There's a lot of circumstances you prayed for over your life. And you wished something would have worked out differently than what it did. Some young person praying to understand why sickness has come on somebody's life and their family. And so... They, they pray and they pray and they believe God and as they pray their expectations increase and as their expectations increase their faith increases. And then somebody walks in and says, that person passed away. So that young person who's had so much faith and confidence, they're devastated. What's the point in praying? Where's God? Why would he let me down like this? And there are no answers in moments like these after such heavy blows. But a proper understanding of faith provides a safe context for dealing with these type of disappointments. The last thing you need to feel in times like those, of, in times of crisis like those, is isolation from God. On the contrary, that's the time when you need to cling to God more than ever before. Your, you, yeah, your expectations or your faith really expectations, have set you up for disappointment with God. And as a result, you feel like you must handle your disappointment alone without God. But we have to learn to distinguish between God's promises and our own expectations. There are many things God has not promised that we might wish he had promised. 
God has not promised to keep bad things from happening to us, for example. He has not promised to heal every illness in this life. Every sickness will be healed one day. Every sickness will be taken care of one day. But he did not promise it to heal every single one in this life. He's not promised to reverse the consequences of sin. Yet there are occasions when God does intervene. And God does some of these things. Why? I'll tell you why. Because he's a good God. And he loves to give good gifts to his children. But these are not promises. He is under no obligation to do our bidding. He's under no obligation to answer our prayers exactly the way we want him to answer and that the fact that people die and the fact that bad things happen and the fact that, that friends move away is no reflection on the goodness or the presence of our Heavenly Father. You look at the apostles, their lives were not free from difficulty. I think we need to understand. I heard a missionary last night. I, it just brought back to my mind. Sometimes we think in America that, that, that we're just, we just should have everything work out for us. And everything else should be good. But there, we, there are people across this world, Christians across this world, who are putting their lives on the line day by day because of their faith. Their lives are not free from difficulty. God doesn't always intervene. But an answer of no or an answer of silence from God does not undermine their faith. The apostles went through the very same thing. And God said no sometimes. They went through persecution. But that answer of no did not under, undermine their faith. They understood that the foundation of their faith was not always getting the answer they wanted. It was not their ability to figure out what God was up to. It was not let's get together and try to figure out what God's doing. No, their faith was founded in a risen Savior, a God who loved them, and a God who cared for them. Because Jesus is our high priest, we can draw near to that God with confidence. Confidence in what? Well, we can have confidence that God will always give us the two things that are most critical in our time of need. He might not always answer like you want to. He might not heal every time you ask him to heal. He might not work things out the, the way you want them to be worked out every time, but there is a promise, something he will always give. He will always give to you. He will always lay before you. He will always hand to you. He will always make sure he's following you. Everything you need in your time of need, God will give you mercy, and God will give you grace. God, there you look behind you, and there's mercy and grace following. I know in front of you there seems difficulty. In front of you, you may not understand understand it all but look behind you because his promises are mercy and grace and they will follow you all the days of our lives mercy is the assurance that God will never allow the pressures or heartbreaks of life to be more than we can bear God knows far more than, about what we are experiencing than what he does or than we think he does we need a Savior who understands. He's felt what we feel. He knows exactly what we need. We can come boldly before Him with total transparency and openness, confident that He will never say, I can't believe you did that, or I can't believe you feel that way, or what's your problem? He's a mercy-giving God because He knows from experience what it's like to need 
mercy. But God's promises don't end with mercy. You can expect to receive grace as well. In this context, grace means the strength to endure, the ability to carry on. Mom may never understand. Dad may never come back. A teacher may never lighten up. Popularity may always be elusive. That scholarship may never come through. But God has promised to give grace. He's promised to deliver you. Has not promised to deliver you from your circumstances, but he's promised to deliver you through them. Many people have the notion that the quality of their faith is an issue with God. That's why you ask for forgiveness over and over for the same old mistake you made two years ago. You don't really know if God actually believes you're sorry. God has promised to forgive our sins once and for all. And that's the simple truth that an authentic faith takes God at his word. Faith has a very specific object, a very specific content. As I said, the object of faith is Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When Peter took his step out into the water, began to walk towards Jesus, and then got his eyes off of Jesus and got his eyes on the wind and started thinking, I'm doing this. This is me. I can't do this. This is impossible. At that moment, Peter began to sink, but Peter cried out to Jesus, Lord, save me. And what we forget is when Jesus picked Peter up out of the water, Peter walked a second time back to the boat. But this time, he was hand in hand with Jesus. This time, it was Jesus literally holding him. And Peter learned a valuable lesson that we all have to learn if we're going to make it. That he's the one that keeps us afloat. He's the one that holds us. He's the one that guides us. It's his grace and mercy that we rest on. And as long as you keep coming, walking by faith, you'll be fine. But as soon as you stop and try to figure it all out and try to reason with it, you'll begin to sink. Because he's the one that keeps you afloat. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will bring it to pass. We must trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. That is, we have to trust God with every area of our lives. He promises, students, hear me, He promises to give you guidance. Literally, God will make your path, your direction in life clear and obvious. We need to learn to let God have control. It's a scary thing. I understand that it's a scary thing. It's not, it's when we when we get to that point where we gotta let God have control, it's usually not sunshiny, middle of the day, beautiful weather. It's usually middle of the night, winds are blowing, waves are crashing. It's usually in those moments, and it seems that much scarier. But we gotta understand, like Peter came to learn after he fell, that Lord, it's you that holds me up. You must be in control. If the answer's no, I'm gonna keep trusting. If the answer's yes, I'm gonna keep trusting. I'm gonna trust that you love me. I'm going to trust that your promises are true. I'm going to trust that you're with me. And I'm going to trust that you're the one that keeps me afloat. As our musicians come as we stand today. A woman named Sue tells of her final days of learning how to fly. The flight instructor told her, said, Sue, I'd like you today to work on your stall. And so don't be afraid to really stall the plane. You tend to recover too early, but I want you to practice those stalls more thoroughly. 
She got in the plane all by herself, ready for a solo flight. Uh, the lesson the instructor was trying to teach her. She said she was airborne. She started with takeoff stall, slowly but steadily, pulling the nose back, keeping an eye on the airspeed, 65 knots, 60, 55, 53. And the warning buzzer began to squeal. But she said, I quickly recovered. I dipped the nose down while carefully easing back on the throttle. But she couldn't get out of her mind. She could hear her instructor's voice. You pulled out too quickly. And I remember Jim's advice, she said. Really stall the plane. She said, I set up for another one. With my left hand, I pulled back on the stick, propelling the plane upward. My right hand grasped the throttle, gradually reducing the engine's power. Everything's under control, I said to myself. As the airspeed began to drop, the stall warning buzzer went off as easily. It's wine filling the tiny cockpit. She said, normally I would recover at the earliest annoying sound of the buzzer. But my skittish emotions compelling me to jump the gun. But not this time. No, I decided to let that buzzer screech as loudly as I could stand before pulling out of the stall. But I waited too long. The slight dropping lurch from the propeller was my only warning. Almost instantly, the left wing dipped and then tipped over pitching the Cessna into a wing-over-wing spin. Jerking my head around, she said, I glanced out my side window, and instead of seeing the horizon, I gaped in horror at the ground. As the altimeter quickened its pace, unwinding at an alarming rate, headlines raced through my mind. Student pilot killed in Spain. She said, precious seconds grew incredibly long as I desperately tried to regain control over the little airplane. She said, my frantic efforts only plunged it and me into an ever-tightening death spiral. As I yanked and fought against the inevitable pull of gravity, words of wisdom somehow popped into my brain. A few weeks back, Jim had told me. He said, Sue, if you ever get into a spin in a Cessna 150, just let go of the controls because it's built to fly on its own. Jim's words now reached into my confused thoughts, much like a life preserver thrown out to a drowning child. But could I trust that? Let go, I screamed three or four times. My hands seemed glued to the controls. I was unable to pry my fingers off, pulling hard. One last time, I threw my hands into the air, releasing my stranglehold on the yoke. I covered my face, bracing for impact yawing and pitching wildly to the right. Then to the left, the Cessna made grotesque, odd noises. Something like the droning of a lawnmower that suddenly stops and then roars to life again. That shaking, shuddering gyrations gradually stilled. Amazingly, the airplane slowly but faithfully returned to straight and level flight. My eyes scanned the instrument panel, resting on the altimeter. 2,100 feet above sea level. She said, I learned an important lesson that day. That when I find myself in situations seemingly spinning out of control, God reminds me to let go of the controls of my life and just trust Him.
because he will always return me to a straight and level course. And that's not hope, and that's not expectations. That's faith, and that's a promise he's made to you. Every head bowed in this place. God's asking you to take your hands off the controls, no matter what the sirens around you are saying. There's little things inside of your heart that have been, have been conditioned to go off at points like this. And at points like this, you've taken back control and you've tried to take control of things and you've tried to order your life the way you want to do it. It's happened over and over in your short lifespan. But at this point in time, God's bringing you into such a tight spin and it's getting out of control and you feel like you can't do anything about it. And he's so glad because that's the point he's been trying to get you to. If you'll just throw your hands up in the air, no matter how hard it may be, and let him have control, you watch as your life life takes off and begins to go in a direction that he's always wanted it to go as peace comes and as hope comes as joy comes as his plan unfolds in your life God is your refuge and strength a very present help in time of trouble and I will trust him for he will keep me safe I wonder if there's somebody here today who'd like to step away from the controls of your life and just let God have them would you do that would you step away. Would you release yourself into his hands and his care? Peter, would you begin to realize I'm walking on water because he's there with me. Because his hand's upon me. Because his spirit is in my life. Come on. I want you to respond to his word right now. Come and lay yourself before him. Come and cast your cares upon him. Because he cares for you. Come on. I know it's scary. I know it's scary. I know it's not easy. But lay your lay the controls down. Let your faith be built on something that's solid. Something that never shakes. Something that never crumbles. Don't build your faith on circumstance. Don't build your faith on things that are whistling around you and swirling around you. Don't build your faith on that. Build your faith on Jesus. Build your hope on Jesus. Let it be founded in Jesus and Jesus alone. Come on, I want somebody here to take a moment. Really 